0: some strange people in front of my house with a laptop and headphones and a giant microphone. What is going on?
1: Welcome to the very first episode of the Sleep Podcast. I am your co-host Vlad and I'm joined here by my business partner and sleep enthusiast Josh. What's up sleepy people? How are you guys doing? At home, they're saying, we're doing great, and we're going to do even better at the end of this episode, because for the first episode, we have a special, special treat, Jeremy Andre, who I reached out to knowing that he has a, a vast background in sleep and this incredible discipline of sleep dentistry, and he he didn't disappoint. Now, before we go into how amazing this episode was, and just the amount of energy that this man brings. Jeremy is a industry expert. He has almost 30 years of experience in sleep. He's opened over 100 sleep centers, and he is an expert in bringing sleep products to life. He is single-handedly responsible for helping thousands of people extend their lifespan and bring back a quality of life through better sleep. Not only is he a super sweet guy, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met. Like I said, this episode just blew both of us away and he is responsible for being one of the pioneers in sleep dentistry. That is that through your mouth, you can actually see the first signs of sleep disorder breathing and actually and also through your mouth you can help to address some of these issues as well that you have if you have a sleep disorder breathing condition it's more than just a CPAP device that could be a great path but there are alternatives and he is responsible for bringing uh, a lot of medical devices such as recently the Andre gauge which is a uh, diagnostic dentistry device and much much more you're going to love this episode Josh what was your feedback on, on Mr. Andre I mean I was
0: blown away by the amount
1: of knowledge he had about sleep I didn't did to be honest
0: I don't even know that I realized there was that much knowledge to to be had I think one of the big takeaways for me on this episode was really the importance of breathing and diagnosing sleep apnea early on I think there's lots of things you can do for your sleep but if you're a poor sleeper the first thing you should look into is do you have any form of sleep apnea? Because that that is the first and probably best thing you can do, single thing you can do to improve your sleep. So they have, you know, I had to talk, take a uh, sleep study in, in a doctor's office, which was very strange and, and I'm not sure, you know, that it's indicative of, of your normal sleep, but now they have these uh, take home Sleep studies that are a much easier way to measure whether you have sleep apnea. And one one thing he actually uh, mentioned, which I'm going to try myself, is Vlad. Can you remind me of the the name of the device that measures your oxygen levels? The pulse oximeter. Pulse oximeter. So he so he told us one simple tracker type device that you can get that can really give you some indication of if you have sleep apnea, apnea is this
1: pulse oximeter, which is typically just something that you clip to your, to your thumb. And actually on that note, to show just how severe the sleep disorder conditions are, about 90% of people in this country go undiagnosed for a sleep breathing disorder. So that's actually very concerning because if you're not breathing well in your sleep, you're not going to get a good quality of sleep and your whole quality of life will suffer. And uh, one more point, what that was great
0: that he made was was that you don't always remember whether or not you had good sleep, because you just you remember from the moment that you wake up or become conscious. So like, you may remember your dream as you as you wake up, or you or like in my sleep study, you know I felt like I was awake the whole time, but that's because I wouldn't remember the periods where I was actually sleeping, and so there's a lot of cases where. Someone may actually think or believe that they do get good sleep, and they're not getting good, good sleep. And one of the uh, a great indicator of that is, do you feel wide awake when you wake up? So if you feel like you're getting eight hours of sleep, but when you wake up, you still feel really drowsy and you, and you don't feel refreshed, there's, there's a good chance that you're actually not getting as much sleep as you think, or as at least the quality of sleep that you need. So it's not, it's not always just about the amount of time that you sleep, it's also about the quality of your sleep.
1: And building on that, one of the things I love about the evolution of medicine that we're seeing is one of the first people that can diagnose a sleep breathing disorder is actually your dentist. And Jeremy is one of the people at the forefront of merging sleep diagnosis with modern dentistry. And it's just, he's, he's a pioneer on many levels. This is a fascinating episode. And then the other point, I wanted to just quickly jump back to on the pulse oximeter. There is a device that we're testing that we'll be reviewing soon called the Go To Sleep. And it claims to track your blood oxygen levels in your sleep, as well as other signs of sleep apnea so that you can almost have a very, uh, a ring that you wear around your finger and it tracks you, um, Tracks for early signs of sleep apnea and then informs you whether or not you can potentially have a uh, sleep disorder, a uh, breathing condition. So that's coming soon. But right now, very exciting. This is Jeremy Andre, episode one of the Sleepest Podcast.
2: Sleep apnea should be called something else and more, more people would have it treated. If they called it what it was, multiple suffocations during your sleep, I think people would <laughs> take it a bit more seriously because that's really what it is and it really is just your airway starting to clog off in the back. In any medical field, you know, when people are doing CPR and trying to bring somebody back to life in any way, I, first thing you need to do is open up the airway or you breathe into somebody's mouth and then start breathing there in the lungs to bring them back and, and basically you're checking for a closed airway. Well, people tend to open their mouth and then the tongue leaves the roof of the mouth and then falls toward the back of the throat, plugging off that area, and the idea is, is if we can get the jaw in a position that's similar to when you're awake, but keep that from falling backwards and open, that we can keep that airway open and allow people to breathe. Now, the problem is, is knowing how far to bring the jaw forward and also vertical. Now, you'll have some dentists that will say, oh you can't do vertical, vertical's no good, you can only bring the jaw forward, you can't open it. It's not one or the other is what we're discovering. It's a combination of opening the mouth a little bit and then bringing the jaw forward. Uh, if you bring the mouth too far open, then what happens is then again the tongue leaves the roof of the mouth again and falls back in that open space that you made. So it's just a fine-tuning of trying to get that jaw and tongue position in the right position to where you can't snore. If you were just to try to kind of make a snore sound right now yourself, And as you're doing that, start to bring your jaw a little bit forward and then slightly open. You're going to get to a point where you find that You can't make that snore sound anymore. That's basically what you're achieving with one of these mouthpieces: is putting that in and leaving that airway open. You know, with our CPAPs, what we're basically doing is we're blowing air down through the nose and into the throat to help inflate that area. As it closes off, we raise the pressure and raise the pressure until we find a pressure that, and then you breathe with that. But our machines have gotten smarter and smarter, and because of that. Um, It's also caused more non-compliance in many of the patients. I mean It used to be that you would put a machine at seven centimeters of pressure, and that's what it was blowing out of the hose But then you can imagine that if you put a certain amount of pressure through a straw and Then you poked a hole in it. You would have to blow a lot harder to make that same amount of pressure Well, that's The machines now do the very same thing. They said hey if we Prescribe somebody seven centimeters of pressure and they start to open their mouth or mouth-breathe we have to blow harder to maintain that seven centimeters of pressure. So they ramp up so high that a lot of the patients now have so much air going through their nose to make that seven that they, they, it ends up irritating them, and then they throw the thing off or their membranes start to swell, and then their airway is smaller from the membrane swelling, which means that now it even has to push harder, and it becomes this cycle, making it uncomfortable where the person can't leave it on the the night and it's not that they don't want to cooperate a lot of times when people are not wearing their cpaps at night they've pulled it off in the middle of the night and they have no idea why so it's, i've never tried the cpap yet but i
3: and it but it's interesting because the only aversion i had to it was just the idea of wearing a machine every night and having air blowing it but i didn't know that there would be all could be all those other complications to it well there can be.
2: So it can be but they're getting more comfortable and they're having there's different types to kind of back off if you're breathing against it because you're used to working to breathe in and letting go to breathe out. Well now it's the opposite. It's going in easier and you're working a little bit to breathe out. But your body takes over that naturally, you know, when you're sleeping. Now the idea of having a hose on you and everything should be okay if you're asleep and don't know that it's there and you're feeling good. <laughs> you know, it's just getting the mm-hmm. Point where you can tolerate that and make that work, and if you can, it can really change your life because you know a lot of people with sleep apnea have weight, and a lot of doctors that don't understand sleep, the first thing that they like to say is, Hey, maybe if you lost a little weight, the snoring would go away. Well, it's actually the exact opposite. Your metabolic rates, the rate that you burn during the day, are determined by your sleep. So, if you're not sleeping right, your body thinks that it's working and it lowers the metabolic rate and stores food all day long and causes you to gain weight. And if you try diet and exercise and all these things, you're lucky to get any of the weight off. But if you do, it comes right back on. But if we fix the sleep and maintain the sleep, your metabolic rates rise, and then you start losing weight and being healthy again. <laughs> Going back
3: to the, to the dental appliance for a moment, for someone that's seeking out their first, first options to address sleep apnea, how do you find the right, type, the right dentist that make sure that it's someone that actually knows what they're doing.
2: I would never trust a a dentist that isn't working directly with a doctor. The other reason to work with one with an MD is it took us many years, and this came from the MDN, not from the dentist, is it used to be a very expensive procedure to go out and get an oral appliance. We've made it to where you can get paid by your insurances now, just like you're getting paid for a CPAP. But that requires mm-hmm. medical testing by a doctor and then compliance by the sleep lab and the sleep physician, and then the insurance will pay for it just like any other device rather than being a cash pay item from some dentist's office. So it's so it seems like the dentist is more a
4: first line of defense. They see the first signs and then they would refer you to a specialized uh, sleep study from there or a doctor.
2: Like, just like if you went to a pulmonologist and the pulmonologist said, you've got a lung disorder, and man, do I got a deal for oxygen for you? You can't do that. <laughs> You'll get in trouble. <laughs> start clause violation. Well, unfortunately, dentists are new to this field, and they're not used to dealing with medical. So sometimes they think that they should be the ones to go ahead and do some testing. If that you've got a problem, now I'm going to turn around and sell you an appliance, and then magically everybody needs an appliance. It used to be that an MD really hurt the dental industry, because even though I think that it's a really good option, because. You know, that was their income source. They were doing the the night testing to see if you had a problem. They were bringing you back to do your test with the CPAP. And also, they were handing them over to dentists, and they weren't seeing these patients anymore. The sleep industry has now changed. The insurances have now required that your first test, in most cases, needs to be done with the home sleep testing device, which doesn't make that much money in the first place. Now with the oral appliance, if it's a good physician, they should be bringing that patient back to the sleep lab to test him with the oral appliance anyway in the medical facility to see that it's adjusted right or if it needs any final adjustments. And so they can now have a cohesive business that works together and is also good for the patient. At that point, if they know how to do that properly, the physician, it shouldn't matter to the physician if you're using the CPAP or you're using the oral appliance that which one the that the, the, the patient is more likely going to use. You know, you'll have some of the old school medical doctors that will still say, hey don't use the oral appliance and you'll ask them why and they'll say, Well it's the gold standard. Why is it the gold standard? Well it's the one that works the best and that's why you should always use it. CPAP's best. You should use it. And I turn around and tell them, no, a a tracheostomy works the best. Put a hole in their throat, that'll work the best. And they turn around and like I'm crazy, and they say, well, a patient wouldn't want to do that. I said, exactly. What is going to be the best therapy that the patient's actually going to be willing to do? because that's not always right, the And that's the way you have to look at it. And I like taking the flow of resistance. You know, I've worked on the CPAP my entire life. I've helped bring them to market. I know how they save lives. And yet I can't wear one. I can't keep it on, I try. But I can wear an oral appliance for my personal snoring and it works great. Now what happens is you're gonna have some pe- dentists with an oral appliance that wants to take somebody who's 500 pounds and that patient says, I want to wear a CPAP and I want to wear that oral appliance, and chances are, you know, with the weight on that person's throat and everything, that oral appliance is going to do nothing and they're doing them a disservice.
3: The sleep study. So I remember, I did a sleep study, I'd say that had to be at least 10 years ago. Has the sleep study advanced at all? Has it become a little easier?
2: Back when we were actually using Collodion to actually super glue electrode wires to people, is a funny thing. It was made for medical electrodes to be glued to the skin, but right on the on the package of the collodion, it says vapor harmful. Do not make contact with skin. If you didn't have well ventilated areas, you could actually see drug spindles in the in the uh, brain waves during the first part of the test from them huffing on the uh, signals and everything else. And and yeah, it's true that you are going to spend a lot more awake time than you normally would at a night in your in a sleep lab with that many wires on. However, with a person with sleep apnea, the chances are within the first hour or two of sleep, or if you're a little sleep, you're going to know what problem they have. The only reason that they test as long as they do is because an insurance company says if you don't have this much time of testing, we're not going to pay for it. So, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah, so huh. It's just driven by the insurance company. So they have to leave you hooked up and... In fact, we'd have patients say, I'm done, I want to go home. And we'd like, well, listen, if you want to just sit here, you wake for another hour and a half, your insurance is going to cover for this. And then, and magically, a lot of them would just go back and fall asleep anyway, you know. and it, the, the problem, though, is what you're describing is the sleep perception. So we have yeah. questionnaires during sleep tests, too, that says, You know, how was this night for you? Was this a normal night for you? Um, How much did you think that you slept and not? Because you're always going to remember your wake time, but you're not going to remember your sleep time. I've had patients that were awake the whole entire night except for the last hour, and they say it was the best night that they ever had. Well, I have other people, you know, that have slept and slept and slept and slept, and then the last half hour they're awake, and they swear they never slept at all. But then we turn around and say, hey, you know, what? we realize the reasons why you have, you don't remember your sleep. I mean, your brain goes through a cooling process to keep it from overheating during certain stages of sleep. And I can go through different sleep stages at some time during one of your talks, but, uh, uh, but but basically, it's important for us to know that after they say what they think their sleep was that night, is then to ask them how was that compared to your normal. Because some people swear that they have insomnia every single night, and then we find out what they really have is a sleep-wakening problem there towards the early morning hours. You know, insomnia is generally more of a a symptom than they are a disorder, and they might be just a problem initiating sleep, but once they sleep they can sleep all the way through or they might be ones where they keep waking up during the night. We need to differentiate those and know what they are because you'll have a person that's having sleep apnea, they start gasping and snorting and then they wake up and they do that many times during the night. And all they do is remember their wake times and swear they never went to sleep. And then they go tell their doctor
1: that they never go
2: to sleep and what does he do? He gives them a sedative which makes the apnea worse. Now they think that they're sleeping (laughs) because because of the sedative, and all they've done is relax their throat more, and they're basically really, really bottoming out, making their health worse.
3: I also sometimes experience, and I'm curious if this is related to the apnea, I a lot of times get sleep paralysis in the morning when I wake up. So I'll go for a period of what seems like 20 to 30 minutes uh, where I feel consciously awake, but I can't move.
2: Sleep paralysis Mm -hmm is a scary thing. There are some people that have it all the time, and there are some people that only have it once in a while. But yes, you can be completely awake. So during your REM sleep, um, a lot of people think that's your real restful sleep. It's not. It's the brain is more active than it is during the day. That's where you have to go through the cooling process of the brain to keep it from overheating and making you basically have mental retardation from cooking your brain. Um, but there's a lot of processing that's going on and during that that process it paralyzes you and Some of the wires that you looked up to you are watching your muscle levels So we could tell what stage of sleep that you were in and one of the ways that we know you're in RAM Where it looks so much like wake in the brainwave activity is to watch this paralysis occur And that's to keep you from acting out these dreams, you know So when you're running you're not really running in life because you really believe in it But what happens is you wake up and your paralysis does not lift and if somebody were to so, come over and touch you on the arm, you would pull out of that. But your house could be burning during that period of time, and you know it's burning, and you can't do anything until some type of sensation reaches over and touches you, or you feel something. It can be a very scary thing, you know, so. Yeah, I've read that, it,
3: and I don't. it hasn't worked for me too well, but I've read that because breathing is an autonomic system, you yep. can... Control your breathing still. So if you start to try and like breathe, have a breathe quickly, that will sometimes pull you out of it. The, the few um, times I've
2: tried to picture a uh, pendulum that is so small that it's just barely rocking from one side to the other as and, and, and my body, and, and it's so microscopic that I'm barely getting a little bit more momentum, a little bit more momentum. And then I have one of those moments, like if you ever dreamed you were falling, <laughs> you know, you did that kind of thing, and I've pulled out of that type of thing. But some people that have problems with this uh, are not so lucky with that. Um, sometimes this is a, a real chemical problem in the body. Um, other times, we, we, we have noticed this, that, that, that at least I've noticed in my studies in the, in the patients that I've seen that have had this, I have a lot of construction workers that do the triple big gulp salt throughout the day and do tons and tons of caffeine in their system. Uh, I've seen um, yeah. increase in those patients of having those type of REM behavior disorders. Now, we have other other REM behavior disorder where instead of paralyzing when you wake up, is they're in a crossover between wake and sleep, and they, they're no longer paralyzed, but they're seeing both what they're seeing in the room with their eyes, plus they're still dreaming some of the characters. So they might have shot holes in their walls thinking they're shooting an intruder and nothing's there, too. Is that what... It happens when a child has night terrors. So night terrors are different than nightmares. And night and night, night terrors are something you see more in slow-wave sleep. REM is your dreaming is more of the stuff that you're talking about. They're in different stages of sleep. And you'll usually know when you're having one or the other, a nightmare or a night terror, because your, your slow-wave sleep starts at the first of the night and then starts to deplete towards the back end. Your REM sleep is very little at the front, and you have that all at the back end. Um, but uh, the reason children have so many different types of weird behaviors is there's a lot in this slow-wave sleep, uh, there's a lot of different types of disorders you have, and the reason the kids have so much slow-wave sleep is it's the only time that they grow. They don't grow during the day one bit. You secrete growth hormone during your slow-wave sleep, and so when they're going through the growth hormone, they start having these other things. Now, in a night terror, they might be screaming and yelling and everything, and then a parent comes in, and shakes them and wakes them up and say, are you okay? Is everything okay? What's going on? And then they look at you like, what the hell did you wake me up for? They're not necessarily seeing anything like you would in a dream.
3: Uh, and I know my, son, uh, my son, actually, he, he doesn't get it so much anymore, but he would, he would get up, and while we would think he was awake, but yep. he would just start, he would start screaming, and if we, yep. he would even be sort of responsive to our questions, but he would still be hysterical.
2: Subconscious, walking yeah. areas and doing stuff, yeah, and hysterical. Most of the time when we medicate a kid for that, it's really to calm the parents down, unless they're becoming a danger and walking out in the streets. But I can guarantee you when they start going through these phases, the bedwetting, the, the grinding of the teeth, and the the, uh, the night terrors and things like this, if you were to start marking them on the wall, you're going to see growth and realize they're going through growth. Uh, spurts. Yeah, yeah. so you talk about Interesting. that. Interesting. You remember when you were a kid and you well so-and-so used to sleepwalk all the time. He's like, yeah I don't do that anymore. Well, that's why and they're really going through those growth spurt stages now I was involved in drug research when we brought GHB to the market the date rape of course not for date rape we brought it in for uh, for uh, Narcolepsy and some other things, but it also induces that stage of sleep so it brought in a whole other set of studies where you know, you take a kid who's not growing at all. Instead of giving them growth hormone with all the side effects, we can instead induce a stage of sleep and cause them to make their own growth hormone rate, and and just make them start shooting like sprouts for the growth. A lot of other crazy stuff you can do with it. Um, I did some weird studies on the side where we were actually in orthodontics saying, hey, this is the only time that the palate is actually moving and teeth and things like this. wonder if we only made appliances in the mouth instead of braces all the time but induced more of this slow-wave sleep even in adults. How far could we reduce brace time and it was substantial. Really? So what, is, what came of that? Did they come up with new treatments for it? Not so much. Most of it was just in the testing stages and stuff. but. Uh, uh, we do know that, you know, the girl that is when the growth's happening. That's why you also have young kids that are also having the leg pains and everything like that at night and not during the day. You know, it's they're starting to go through more growth and secreting that growth hormone at a, a rapid rate. So would the same apply for like say if you were bodybuilding? You 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 could. <laughs> You could. Mm-hmm. It's not the same way that you would for uh, testosterone or something like that, which is really looking at your soft tissues and muscle. This is actually going to grow bone and height and things like that as well. So hmm. We have had some parents that have put their kids on growth hormone for, uh, but not growth hormone, but um, caused them to have growth hormone through these drugs that caused them to induce more of this sleep for reasons of, trying to get their kids ahead in athletics and stuff and to get them to grow taller and faster in their youth when they're first, terrible. yeah, uh, trying to, well, kids identify themselves very young and their uh, their self-confidence and everything is learned very young that carries on through the rest of life. You know, you have young kids that are shy and quiet and insecure. They tend to be that way for the rest of their lives. And so there's some parents that think, well, I need to give them that advantage by getting getting those growth plates closer together and taller and faster, quicker, you know. Um, Of course, when it comes to science, that's a little bit pretty far on the off-label side of things. But, you know, I worked (laughs) with doctors as well that was looking at um, Alzheimer's drugs, you know, and they they found out that there were a lot of kids taking these Alzheimer's drugs that didn't need them in college, not to get high, but what they found is they retained memory. Uh, When they didn't have Alzheimer's, and they could study very little and retain it all. And then there was a, a debate on that from a moral standpoint, saying this is unfair. And then you had other professors that said, well, maybe not, because some people naturally retain like that, and they're producing those chemicals in their body, and all we're doing is even in the playing field for those people, you know. There was nothing worse than that one guy you saw drinking every night and partying and would read a book for five minutes and ACE's test, and you just hated that guy. So people wanted to become that guy by taking these Alzheimer's medications. The problem that they found with the long term is the body is meant to forget things on purpose. If the body didn't know how to forget things, women would only have one baby because they would remember the pain and they'd never go through it again. They wouldn't be able to survive the death of a child and never live again because of the pain that it caused them. And all of a sudden you had somebody um, taking these type of medications, and let's say one of these young girls got raped during the process while they were abusing these medications, and they could not get over these things now, and it had been put in their permanent memory now instead of something that should have been lost. And so that's some of the problems with uh, abusing some of these medications.
3: So. When you wake up, if what you're remembering is just kind of a story you're instructing
2: based on, so, I mean, it wasn't, we didn't, it's not a real during your dream stage. You're not really just sitting and floating around doing stories. What's happening is everything that we're talking about here today is going to go in your memory, everything that you did today. And then basically during this dream stage, it's going to say, hey, this needs to be spit out. This is junk and this is what we're going to retain. And this stuff's doing it all at once. Let's not do it in an order of the day and often these dreams are not what you think that they are all of a sudden you woke up from one of these dreams and and all the data that was just being transferred at that moment it's it's all crossing over your brain goes to this if you looked at an mri it would be like confusion just like you would with a problem you can't solve and then it would make a story for all those pieces right at that second when you're awake that you swore you just had to make sense out of everything that there was there and put together so that's why it's all convoluted and doesn't make sense you might have Ben, I walk from a, a five-second dream and you've got a two-hour story because it took all that data that was just getting transferred in that period of time, and it's got to make some sense out of it, and you create that story during your wake. It didn't happen during your dream at all. Your brain, your interpreting. Yes, your brain cannot handle nonsense or the fact that you're not making any sense and you will try to make sense out of it. I mean, that's what will happen now. There are certain parts of, of, of dreaming that are a little bit different in the fact that certain portions of it will reoccur sometimes. Now, reoccurring memories are, you know, you put on a different face for a spouse than you would your best friend versus a pastor or everything. We all act a little bit different. But during your dreams, it's the time to say, listen, we're going to be real realistic with this and we're going to sort this shit out. You know, you're going to deal with it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go buy a book that says this means this and this means that. Those are quacks that that put out those type of huh. books. That's just not the way that it is, but the body has a natural way of doing it. Now, if you have a reoccurring dream, that's your body's way of saying, hey, I'm trying to fix this, I'm trying to fix this, I'm trying to fix this, and I can't. It keeps bringing up the same things. It's unable to deal with it, and then it, then it becomes a little bit more important. But, you know, if you take like a young child, that is scared of speaking in public, he doesn't dream of speaking in public and being scared. He's generally being chased by something, whether it be an animal or whatever, but if you, uh, we're really big on dream journals of writing down what your dream was and then every time you wake up from it and then you know prog- seems to progress past that, go a little further if you start writing it down. But if you take a young kid that we know has speaking problems, and he's being chased by a tiger. Then you sit down with this kid and say, Don't worry, the tiger is going to catch you, and he's going to have a pie with you, and he's actually really nice. Um, the kid sends, tends to relax, go back to sleep. Um, here's the strange thing about it if you teach a kid to speak better, that dream goes away. But when you tell him that this tiger is going to be friendly with him, and everything's going to be fine, and he sleeps through that, everything's great, and this is something we don't know why, he then becomes a better speaker. <laughs> so we don't know why. Uh, that It actually solves the problem from the other end as well, rather than making him wow. a better speaker to make it go away. Uh, and the same so goes there with, with pain. I mean, so um, mm-hmm. pain creates a brainwave called alpha, and when you have alpha intrusion, a wake wave during sleep, uh, we know that that person generally has pain, depression, or some other things. But if we take somebody, let's say, with fibromyalgia, and we see this alpha intrusion there, we don't know if the alpha is causing the pain or the pain is causing the alpha. All we know is when we started giving them this GHB, which knocked out alpha, their pain went away. So we could actually make their pain go away by reducing the alpha intrusion in the brain. Is there such thing as dream archetypes? Like, is it Do we all share
3: similar dreams, or is it just because... We're making sense of the dreams, and we all kind of grew up in the same culture, so we interpret it in a similar way.
2: No, I think that if you were to go to anybody that said fire means this in a dream, water means this in a dream, run away from that person. They're going to take your money. I'm <laughs> The people well, that you, really you, understand you the ones that really understand them will is you. And a person will sit down, and if you say, "Yeah, he's at this table, and there was a tablecloth." And you mentioned the tablecloth. He said, well, describe the tablecloth. Let's start talking about the tablecloth. What he's really trying to do, because that, that's a reoccurring thing with you, is realize that as you are processing all these memory things, you're going to mix all the stuff together and create that story, is somehow you need to figure out what, where that came from in your day-to-day activities, you know, to find out what it is that's been bothering you, what portion of that. You know, uh, you might be scared of surgery uh, that you're going into, and you're going to be dreaming of something mechanical. You know, and you're gonna to have to figure out what that mechanical is. The guy on the other right. side is not gonna figure it out. He's only gonna help you try to. But but here's the thing, the rough. Of these you do not have to figure out. It's doing it by itself and it's taking care of itself and the body is doing everything that you need and it's gonna fix it. It's only when you have the reoccurring one that comes over and over and over that it's telling you that it hasn't fixed it yet, it's still trying, it hasn't fixed it yet, it's still trying, hasn't fixed it, that I'd ever be concerned, but but like I said, most of the time each is gonna be a little bit different, it's gonna be a little bit crazier and, 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 uh, it, and it's working its way through it. And a lot of times they're not there to work anything out. Again, it's just that processing. Dreams are, people say, I don't ever dream. I don't have dream. Those people are probably sleeping really good because the only dreams that you remember are the ones that you interrupted. And the one that you interrupted is going to usually be your, morning, your last morning dream. Besides an oral appliance or a
4: CPAP machine, are there any... Exercises that people can do, is there anything else that people can do that that, that isn't necessarily a strict uh, medical intervention?
2: Very little. Basically, I, I want you to think of the throat as like a straw. Okay? And if you've ever collapsed a straw in that area, you've created a weak point in it. And the chances of ever getting it back are slim to none. Now, there is some research that shows that it has worked but very minimally. Um, it might take somebody who has moderate sleep apnea and may, made them less moderate <laughs> and closer to the mild area, but they still had it, was the digitaru, Uh Seemed to help that, <laughs> that it, by playing one of those. Caused the next the Australian? That's,
4: it's funny, yeah. we just made a, a blog post today just about that. I posted research on the, on the website just today about exactly that. It's, it's funny you mention it. Yep. And it's some uh,
2: double-read instruments of the saying as well. Yeah, so it helps a little bit, but not much. Um, now, now there are, are people that might be on a CPAP, and that's the only thing that works for them. And they try dieting and exercise, that it never worked. But then they get on the CPAP, but they don't try dieting and exercising after. They just go along with their CPAP. But if you try it after, like I was saying, when your metabolic rates are, that also these be- people become very fit, and the weight comes off of their neck and the throat and things like this, and there have been patients that have worked their way out of it. Now, surgical methods, there are surgical methods that have cured sleep apnea. Not all of them work uh, for all people. When when I say surgery is maybe 50% effective, that might be 90% for you and 10% for someone else, and they can generally tell by looking at your throat and stuff. There are people in the dental world, one of them would be Dr. David Singh out of Portland, who found that um, uh, there is more and more and more sleep apnea and it's being caused from the lack of breastfeeding babies anymore, which sounds really weird. Yep. <laughs> but what happens is if you look at a baby's mouth with its teeth and then they're really tiny and they're in there, as you're growing one day, the teeth just aren't out further apart. What happens is as you start to breastfeed a baby, that breast in there starts going in, in their mouth and starts expanding that palate and making it wide. okay. And then when it gets to a certain width their tongue can fit in there and then their tongue starts pushing them out the rest of the way. Well mothers now who are trying to say hey, I don't want to use these breasts or abuse these breasts aren't doing that and these kids are getting narrow pallets. Well if you take a balloon and stretch it you know it goes nice and tight. Well now picture that thinner palate there and it hasn't had a chance to widen and stretch that throat in the back. It's now loose and more susceptible to sleep apnea and then the tongue that can't fit up in that airway up in the that upper cavity of the, the the palate there now has no place to go and it gets in the way or falls in the back and causes more this is my pain. problem this is so my problem I was formula
3: fed yeah I was normal formula cow- fed by yeah.
2: Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you that the way to fix that is to start breastfeeding now. Um, <laughs> Damn. But, but what I am saying is that there are people like Dave Singh now that can put palatal expanders that you only wear at night, and the idea is, is I'm gonna start reshaping the, the your upper palate every time you go to sleep at night and start stretching that until your sleep apnea actually is cured. So if you look at the jaw, I, I think that the jaw is very much like the a building, and if you build a building for strength, you have four corners on it that hold the strength of that building. And what happens often is that when people start getting crooked teeth in their mouth, it's mostly because a kid loses a tooth, and then there's a hole there, and then the other teeth start falling in that hole, and then as the tooth comes in, it doesn't have room, so it starts to twist, right? And and yeah. uh, now dentists are getting smarter and saying, hey, while well, the kids got their baby teeth, let's. Let's put a little barrier in between there so when the tooth comes in, it comes in straight rather than doing braces later and they're having much more success. The problem is, is when kids' teeth get all crooked and stuff, the dentist wants to make this as fast as process as possible and they said, we've got to make more room to start turning these teeth and having space for them. So they pull some of the back teeth out. More and more dentistry is getting away from that because what's happening, you pull those back teeth out, that was the back corners of that building. Now that building's going to tip, right? And nothing's there to support it. Well, now instead of those back teeth supporting against the other teeth, now the jaw joint is carrying that weight. And now they start getting clicking jaws and TMJ. And everything because those teeth aren't holding the jaw, the actual joint and the muscles are. That's where the problems all begin, and they get worse from there. And you get people with headaches and migraines and jaw clicking and everything, and it's usually because they pull those back teeth out. Rather than taking the time to move the teeth around and, and push the teeth where they need to be before they start turning the other teeth, it just takes longer, but that's the proper way to do it. Dr. Spang takes a lot of people and say the reason you don't have that room again is that palate is not where it needs to be, and if you widen that palate, all the teeth have room to move around in there. If you look at my Andre gauge, you'll see that sports stars are now making all their mouth guards with this and everything else, and what they found is proper hip alignment helps with athletics, but so does proper jaw alignment. We can take and get the jaw in the proper position. We can take with a mouthpiece, and we can make another mouthpiece that's off by a millimeter and not tell the athletes which one is which and they'll always perform better on the other, they'll lift more weight, they'll have faster speeds, things like this, they'll have less concussion and things too. So jaw alignment has to do with the the way that the neck alignment and neural pathways all work as well. It's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, When we made the Andre Gauge, we were really making this tool to help us to make a proper oral appliance for sleep apnea, We accidentally figured out how to make performance mouth guards and all types of other sorts of things that came along with
4: it. So what are the metrics that you're actually looking for within the mouth uh, when you're using the gauge?
2: Proper airway, the largest airway with the least amount of tension on the jaw. I can grab the jaw, I just keep bringing it forward and forward and forward until the throat is so tight that you can't snore, but I can also then drop it a little bit and not have to go as far forward and get the same approach. So the idea is how much can I make the, the widest airway in that throat with the least amount of pressure on that jaw? And people, and you'll have some will say, hey, you're doing that during wake and muscle tone goes down to sleep. I'm, I'm like, that's true, but we still know where the weak spot is for that person's anatomy, and we need to improve it to the best position we can for that person's anatomy. Now, if we get that there, And it works for them great. If we get them in that ultimate position and then at night they're still having sleep apnea, we know a normal appliance is not going to work at all for that patient. But at least we know if it is, what position it needs to be in. Now you can go to AndreGage.com, and that's A-N-D-R-A-G-A-U-G-E.com. And going there, and you'll see some of the actual where we've got radiology actually looking at throat and the airway and how we move that, and how it actually changes the throat in the airway. It's pretty remarkable. So you know, there's all these sleep trackers now, and yep. I mean, I'm
3: just curious, but I, I know that they don't tell you as much. But I'm, I'm curious how, like, how far apart is say a home sleep study versus what you? Can you do anything with these sleep Tracking. trackers, or, or are they completely? Yep.
2: No, no, I've seen, I've seen them. In fact, even RestMed, you know, the big one of the big CPAP companies has one you can buy at Bed Bath and Beyond that sits there and monitors you and things like that. I that's think the one that uses Sonar, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Why I have that one, Sonar. That one, yeah. That one basically watches the rise and the fall and everything else. I think an oximeter alone, just on your finger probe, is one of the most important things that you can have. Quite frankly, even though I have access to all these wonderful tools and I can see every little thing that happens in sleep. Um, I can probably tell more about you with your sleep than I can during wake because you can't lie during that. I can see de- depression. I can see anxiety. I can see all these different things. The problem is is with sleep, the different types of sleep disorders is most of them you can't diagnose until you've taken care of the sleep apnea anyway. So why not the simplest route of finding the sleep apnea? I, a- I happen to know that if you put an oximeter on your finger and you see get cycling up and down with your oxygen, you're having sleep If you had an underlying oxygen problem, you would just have a low baseline. Instead of reading at 99 all night, you might be at 80 all night long. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't go up and down and up and down. That's what's happening when you're, you're gasping and you're getting a lot of air, and so you're oversaturating, and then you're quit breathing, and you're going back down. That's what that up and down is. Now, if I look at an, an oximetry report that just shows the oxygen levels going up and down and up and down, about every 90 minutes, I'm going to see a section where it's going down much further, and then much further the next 90 minutes. That's your REM periods. Your REM periods you have every 90 minutes in your sleep. And as you know, when you're breathing, you've got two different nervous systems. One's kind of autonomic and the other one that you're actually helping with. Well, when you're paralyzed and you quit breathing, you don't have the other one to help it. You're, you're depending on this autonomic that's having a harder time where you're having your apnea that's also worse. The other thing that's going on is when you're actually doing all this dreaming and you're, you're pushing this data all over your head, the body gets put on kind of an autopilot. Because during the day, when you need a little bit more air, your body says, breathe a little deeper, you know. And when your heart needs to race a little more because you're running, it just says to do it. Well, during the RAM, it says, hey, let's kind of put this thing on like an auto cycle now so I can do all this stuff in the head. Well, then all of a sudden you quit breathing in this REM period and your oxygen starts dropping, dropping, dropping because it's not picking up on a real-time basis all the way until that processing up in the head can't happen anymore. It says, wait, I I can't do this anymore. I'm out (laughs) of oxygen. And then you do this huge gasp and you're having these worse apnea spells. And each REM period gets deeper and deeper, each 90-minute one that you go through. And that's when you hear about people dying in their sleep. It's probably going to be happening about 4 a.m. during your deepest REM uh, cycle which also happens to be when, it seems like when hospitals are the least staffed, unfortunately, but when you see somebody and they say, oh yeah, my dad died in his sleep, say, oh, did it die around four four to five in the morning? They're going to say, how'd you know that? You know, and that's what's happened. They were at their most vulnerable state going through this. And you, is that something you can get
3: anywhere, online? Yeah, they found that yourself. Box. Great. Uh, you can get, get an oximeter,
2: you can get a recording oximeter. I have one that I just barely uh, bought. Uh, for my grandmother. She was just going to go ahead and use it for spot checks to see what her oxygen level is. But this one talks to her her, her iPhone and it can record it. You can see like signs of depression
3: and, and some other signs and they, those could be caused by the sleep apnea. I, I've been diagnosed with uh, attention deficit disorder. I have start, recently started to wonder, is it possible that just has to do with my lack of sleep, and not. And if I fix my sleep patterns, a lot of those symptoms might just go away on their own.
2: I don't ever want to tell you that yes, that's the case. <laughs> no, that's the case because I don't know what your medical history is, and I certainly wouldn't want to overrule your physician in any means. But there was a large, right. a large group of kids tested in Italy. I don't remember when this one was. This particular study that they were all kids that were primary snores with no sleep apnea just snoring with no apnea and they basically got rid of their snoring and their grade point averages went up and this ADD effect went away Um, now this comes into play remember when I was telling you that you go through this dream process and it starts sorting everything out if you don't sleep one night and don't get REM sleep and you don't go through this process the next day when you're there, it, it, work, it you feel like you have a cluttered desk because the stuff hasn't been moved. It's hard to concentrate on anything. It's You've got too much there. It hasn't moved. So you very much have that same type of an effect that you might have with an ADD that tends to go away if that is your actual problem. Saying that there right. are true groups of ADD, there are. Heavens. Uh, right. When I went into a doctor for myself with ADD, he, he said, you know what, I can fix this, but you don't want to in your case. You know, you've got businesses in China. You've got businesses here. You've got this and this and this, and you're all doing that. If you, if I fix this, you're not going to be able to have any of these because you've learned to take all of these ideas and stuff and keep them going and have other people manage them. That's the key to that. Is you've got you're going so many different yeah. directions that. If you didn't have the right people in the right place, you'd start a bunch of things and never finish them. But if you can have the right people in place, boy, you can make big companies. I mean, it's what happened with Apple and Microsoft and all these guys. They're these type of people.
4: Quickly jump ship over here, and I have a quick question. In terms of sleep apnea, there are the, quote, unquote, at-risk groups. I'm reading a book right now by Dr. Mark. I think his last name is Berhane. It's called The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox, and he says, that there are um, the typical at-risk groups for sleep apnea, people who are obese or overweight, people who have thick necks, males, but there's also a list of people who are not considered at-risk, but still have a potential for sleep apnea. And there are a lot of symptoms that they have long before the snoring begins and the typical sleep apnea symptoms that you would see. So I guess the question is, is this true? Are there at-risk Groups that are not what we would typically in the textbook identify as an at risk group, and what are the symptoms we should be looking
2: for? My answer is yes, because as I was telling you earlier, these people that are great, big, and heavy didn't start out big and heavy. It's most likely right. that these symptoms and the problems they're having that made them heavy. I had one of the major CPAP companies come to me once, and we were in a little focus group, and they said, Jeremy, what's going on here? When we were originally working with these CPAP machines, they were clunky. They didn't have all these features and everything like that, but we had a higher compliance rate and we had better outcomes than we do with all these new toys. What's the problem? And I said, well, when you first started, the only people we were treating were these people that were going to die without it. So they were motivated to use it, and they were already big, and they were at the terrible. Well, now as we, we, we are starting to identify younger people with symptoms and stuff that are going to end up becoming these people, the reason they're not compliant is they start to try to use these therapies and stuff and say, you know what? This is uncomfortable. I don't like it. Hell, it's not that bad for me. I'll just wait till it's bad before I ever get there, rather than fixing the problem before it gets bad and then you have to have higher pressures and things like this. These are better suited for the oral appliance or CPAP at a very low pressure, which is very easy, but then they say, no, I don't want to deal with it. It's not that bad. If you're snoring, I don't care if you have sleep apnea or not, the reason that it's making that noise is your throat and airway is closing off. Now, when you snore, uh, even if you're not happy at I me, mean, your heart rate tend to change. Uh, picture somebody in your bedroom that every time that you try to go to sleep, they bump you a little bit. You'd get so pissed off, you'd be very, very tired. Well, snoring does the same thing. It's not about falling asleep and staying asleep. It's about achieving certain stages of sleep that really change your body, that change your metabolic rates, that do these things with REM and all these everything. Every time if you go to go in those stages of sleep, you have a little snort or something like that that pulls you out in these lighter stages of sleep, you're going to be dragging ass all day. A lot yeah. of people are dragging ass not necessarily because they have a physical sleep disorder. They have a different sleep disorder and a lot of it's voluntary they're not going to sleep at a proper time, they know they have to wake up early, they're exercising at the wrong time of the day, they're eating at the wrong time of the day, they're drinking too late in the night, they're doing all these things, causes problems. Now this is one of the reasons that I actually love these new modern technologies of like your Fitbits and your other things that start to monitor sleep. If you actually add something to that that these companies are missing, and that is, is let's say you decide to drink and you drink at a certain time, put that in a journal, monitor yeah. what happened to your sleep bed with your little device. Next time that you're not doing that, you'll start noticing patterns that every time I drink this late at night, by golly, it does affect my sleep. And there's something about seeing it. Because I've done this before, where I say, you know what, I want to drink late into the night, but I know what it's going to do to me because I've been monitoring it over and over and over and over, and then I have to make a decision. Yeah, screw this. I just know I'm going to sleep crappy or not. But it's once you can put something to that or report to that, you start making different decisions. A prime example is working out. Working out is very good at being healthy. is good for your sleep as long as you're doing it at the right time of the day, and that's the morning hours. If you work out at night when most people are doing it after work you raise your core body temperature and you want a cooler body temperature to sleep otherwise you don't hit these certain stages of sleep and you heat up and then you don't feel very good and you don't sleep very good and you always feel crappy now the opposite would happen is if you jumped in a hot tub a really, really hot, hot tub, you find that you sleep a little bit better. And the reason being is when your exterior is hot, your interior starts cooling to try to cool that down. And then you're going to bed with that cooler body temperature and that's why you sleep well. But if you increase that body temperature too late in the night, you're not gonna sleep worth a crap. It's like drinking light. A lot of this is, you know, like I said, are not necessarily physical problems, it's just poor habits. One of the things that's really killing us right now is blue light is terrible for your sleep really 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 bad they, that, that is part of your circadian rhythm in secreting uh, certain types of hormones that induce sleep and wake and it didn't used to be that we had electronic devices at night but when we do that we mess up our sleeping patterns something fierce in fact anyone who has a phone that has a night mode that does that amber color if they're gonna have to turn on a light that would be the one that you want to do you want to stay away from the, uh, the blue lights we can actually change people's sleep rhythms when they're traveling in a travel schedule by adding a certain type of blue light in the morning to let them know this is their morning hours. That's also the best time to work out and get your daylight sunlight exposure, too, for your sleeping patterns as well. I'm sure you've heard of melatonin. Uh, melatonin is not an herbal supplement of any kind. It is a hormone. And unfortunately, some people give that to the little kids when they're developing and cause all their problems. I would not do that. But melatonin naturally is produced, and it has to do with the gland behind the eye that, is, that, that triggers this with blue light. And that should happen in the morning to say, now's my wake, period, and then sleep's my night, and stay away from that light. If you need to go up, use the restroom turning on a light or even leaving a night light on in your room that has white or blue light, it's, it's very disruptive to your sleep. And now it's been proven to cause early Alzheimer's and some heart risks and some other things by uh, affecting the way that we sleep through uh, keeping light on at
3: night. For, for the um, melatonin, what about, I've heard that drinking tart cherry juice or eating almonds helps. I don't know if it's because it contains... Uh, melatonin or it helps melatonin production but that it would that it helps with sleep.
2: Well there are certain things that can trigger melatonin there aren't. and this is a really scary thing for me to talk about and I'll tell you why. A lot of people that have insomnia, again got insomnia for a very real reason. Let's say it was uh, a breakup or something painful, right, and it started that mm-hmm. and then they couldn't sleep at night. The problem is, is we try to tell people when you go to bed at night that the bedroom is for two things only. It's for sleep and for sex. It's not for watching TV, it's not for stressing, it's not for these things. If you're having any of these things, leave the room, then come back. All of a sudden you're stressed again, leave the room, come back. You need your body to become accustomed that this is a place where I rest and it's it's a sanctuary. It will become accustomed to that, but if if you go to the room thinking, oh, this is going to be another one of those nights, I never sleep, and you're miserable, that's exactly what's going to happen. Hotels have, have caught on to this. And because of that now, they show you the branded mattress they have. They have some oils by a certain company sitting on your bedside table because you go in there and you haven't labeled that room and you have the best night's sleep because you haven't labeled it that, right? And all of a sudden, you want to buy that mattress and you want to buy those oils. Yeah. And magically, when you go home and you have those oils in that bed, you're sleeping correctly. And why? Because you finally learned to relax and you've done that. And and you're, you're blaming on that product and who cares? Who cares what it was? But it really was the fact that you didn't bring that stress back with you and you believed it was going to work. Right, right. Now I have certain people that will bring some certain types of medications to me and say, will this help you sleep? And I ask them, have you been taking it? And they say, well, yes. And I said, you tell me, has it been helping you sleep? They say, yes. I say, great. Where I know that in, in rats, when we gave it to them, that they digested it, nothing happened. But if we secreted it in the gland behind the eye, it would actually work, I realized that I don't want to tell them that's actually doing nothing because the truth is, is they finally found something that says, this is what's making me relax, okay? And I don't want to take that away from them because we all have what's called a pre-sleep ritual, and most of us have developed improper pre-sleep rituals. If you look at a dog... He goes over to his bed and he circles it three times before he goes to bed. He doesn't know that he does that. That's his pre-sleep ritual, and every time he wakes up, he's going to do the same thing. Unfortunately, there are many people out there that watch TV before they fall asleep and don't realize that they've developed a TV pre-sleep ritual. Then, when they wake up yeah. during the yeah. night, even though they're not interested in TV, that's what it requires them to go back to sleep. And you turn it on, and five minutes in, they're back out because they've developed a very poor pre-sleep ritual. Mothers often breastfeed their babies until they fall asleep. Bad idea because now, when that baby wakes up, hungry or not, that's what it's going to take to keep him to quit crying and go back to sleep. With my children. Right. I had a certain music box I didn't turn on until I went to put them to bed. I could turn that on at any time during the night. I didn't have to rock them. I didn't have to do anything. It was the easiest thing. I also never punished my kids by saying, that's it, go to your room, go to bed. I would put my kids on the couch next to me and say, now, now you've done it. I'm keeping you up. And every time they go to doze off, I would hit them. <laughs> yeah. I would hit them. And those kids, now, my kids, my, my neighbors hated me. They couldn't understand how I did this. My kids would say, can I go to bed yet? I'm like, no, not yet. No, not yet. And I'm like, come on. Now. Come on now. <laughs> Because I never punished them with that, you know what I mean? I let him know that was a very sacred thing and something that they wanted to do, and therefore they would go to bed, you know, so.
3: Right, yeah, that was something my sister who did childhood no. development told me not to punish my son to bed because then he'll associate the bed with being a
2: bad place. Children need a lot more sleep, too, and you need less as you get an adult. And some of their most important sleep hours are in the mornings now that we're actually now making them go to school do do extra cur- curricular activities before school and everything, and it's really affecting their grades negatively. Out in Las Vegas, they didn't they couldn't build any more schools and didn't have them, so they have two shifts of school now. You can go to evening school, or you can go to morning school. And now that they're showing that the evening school kids are performing so much better because they're able to get their full night wow. sleep in the morning rather than waking up earlier and going in. Right. And there's a lot of uh,
4: momentum going to uh, later school start times across the country. That's actually one of the causes that we support as an organization is having later school start times. I couldn't agree more. So I have a question about uh, blue light, blue blockers. I wear a set at night. My girlfriend and friends think I'm insane. Am I just wasting time? Are they doing anything for me?
2: Uh, You know, I've never... I've never looked to see if those glasses really truly take out those frequencies, I really haven't. I've done the opposite a lot. They make, so I used to have one of these blue lights in the morning that I would always turn on in the morning, keep my on uh, online. The problem was is if I put it in my bathroom where I was getting ready and then I, I left it, I didn't want to carry the thing around. And there's a couple of companies out there that now that make the ones with the right frequency that you can actually put on the end of a hat so they're aiming right at your eyes. So you can just put the hat on while you're getting ready and doing your other stuff, and it works really well. But at night, the color that you really want to use, and, and you should, pilots use it, is amber. And um, what about light
4: bulbs, the blue blocking light bulbs? Have you looked into those at all?
2: Um, there are some light bulbs out there now that are made specifically for sleep. And, of course, blackout shades and things like this. Um, quiet Cool rooms, not cold rooms, but cool rooms. Generally, sleep better. Learn to turn my electronics off at a certain time at night. I know it's hard to do because people have started using that as their pre sleep ritual. Then they wake up and start checking their stats again, but all you're doing is waking yourself up and saying, Now it's time to wake up. If you've ever been up half of a night and had a chance to sleep, the next morning, your alarm clock goes off, and then you hit the, 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 the snooze, and you sleep for an extra hour. You'll find that you're more tired the second time than yeah. the first time. And it's not because yeah. your body just wears out. You have chemicals that rise and lower. And what you just basically did is shifted that sleep rhythm and said, now is my tired time and my night time. Now, if you go ahead and wake up at your normal time, which you should do, are you still going to be kind of worn out during that day? You are. But the good thing about that is is when it comes to your normal sleeping time that night, you're going to fall asleep on time instead of going through this
3: vicious cycle. I've never had to use an alarm clock because I've always been up in time. So what I've started doing, because I found that if I wake up after a certain time and go back to sleep, it, I feel much worse, is that if I wake up at any time after 4 o'clock, I just get up. So that's yeah, that's the right thing to do. And it's
2: okay yeah. to wake yeah. up early. You can't force yourself to be tired, but you can force yourself to be, You should never sleep further than your wake-up time, and it's always a good sign if you don't need an alarm clock to wake up at your normal time. That means your circadian rhythm is working really well. I used to work with professional sports teams that saying, hey, this is when you travel back home that night, or this is when you spend the night and then travel back home the next morning. Those type of things, they all make a big difference in what we do. Shift workers, there's a shift differential, where you make more money by working certain shifts. That that differential was determined because you were going to shave off about seven years off your life. If you're working shift differential, you're getting paid to die early, basically. Um, but, but when you do shifts, you know a lot of workers, if they did it correctly, they wouldn't have a problem. Like when we were in the sleep lab business, just like hooking you up, the way that I would work my employees is... We of course we didn't want them to work overtime and have to pay a ton of overtime. So if they could only work three shifts, the twelve-hour shifts, I wanted them to work three shifts at the end of one week and at the first of the next week, because then they had six on and eight off, six on and eight off. Now, the night that 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 they were off, instead of going home and going to sleep, I have them stay awake during the day. Now. Uh, yeah, they were Were they tired? Yeah, they were tired. But I guarantee you that that nighttime, they were going to be able to fall asleep, right? Because they were that tired. And now when they wake up the next morning, they're on a day shift for that whole next eight days. They're on a day shift. You can shift forward. You can't all of a sudden say, I'm going to go to bed earlier and be sleepy. But you can force yourself to be awake. Then on the last day shift there, when it's night time and they were supposed to go to sleep, I'd say, no, stay up and play video games all night and then what's going to happen is you're going to sleep the next day and be back on your night shift, but you're always shifting forward. You're never shifting backwards. If you try to shift back and forth, you're not going to be able to perform. You're going to do terrible at your work. You're going to have a higher incidence of... of, uh, The whole whole shift of, of 40 hours a week, where that came from was sleep disorder testing, and what they found is that once you went over that 40 hours, now the amount of people's lack of sleep and work was costing them more money than the extra production they were getting out of the employees by the mistakes and stuff that they were making. That's where that came into play. They realized that once they went to 41, 42, 43, and kept going on, the mistakes that were made by the employee cost them more to fix than it would have right. to have them work anymore. And that's where that came into play. And now, businesses don't understand that. So they're working more and more, thinking they're getting better production. And really what's happening is their production is going down by pushing them the extra mile and then having to fix problems. Breach. I think I could probably ask you questions
3: for another few hours, but yeah, I don't want to use use up all of your time. Um, do you have two more questions I'd like to wrap up on? Just one kind of leading into what you were just talking about. How effective are naps to recuperate where you're not where you're lacking in sleep?
2: Naps can be a great thing or an extremely destructive thing. Quick little power naps, no longer than 20 minutes, have been found to really help people that have been lacking for whatever reason. They cause to lose this and lose this in their sleep, or not get proper sleep because they had caffeine intake or things like this when they did sleep. Uh, but anything over 20 minute has has been shown to cause more problems than health benefits. So you never, ever want to exceed a 20-minute nap. And if you do, you'll know it. You've probably done it on a Sunday or something before. You're going to go back into that feeling of feeling sleep drunk and droggy again all day and you don't want to do anything and all those plans you had to get this done and this done and this done ends up mean doing nothing. So my last question, what are
3: some of the most exciting developments you're seeing in, in sleep research or in technology around sleep?
2: Well, I think that the biggest thing is that we're actually starting to see technology to get more simple in devices that people can have in their home. You know, uh, most people that think they have a sleep disorder do. <laughs> and <laughs> they up the money to go to a sleep clinic and everything else to find anything. I mean, anytime that you can start monitoring and then looking at patterns, like I said earlier. Oh, well, it just so happened that I was exercising late at night and now I see my sleep is this crappy, or I've started to start realizing what things that they're doing in their life are causing these problems. And that feedback really changes behavior and it just makes things better, you know, to be able to go ahead and, and, and fix a lot of these things. Now, there's always gonna be these problems of underlying sleep disorders that are going to need medical attention and they do get better every single time you know, that I'm around. Uh, Oral appliances, uh, they haven't been around that long and they're getting better and better. You know, The the testing devices are just getting easier to use. It, if you would have told me years ago that they were gonna allow home sleep testing instead of these big units, I would have said they were crazy. And at first I didn't like them because there were so many things I couldn't see, but then if you start looking at the way the insurance companies work, you're not allowed to diagnose any of those other problems, even if you're seeing them until you've treated the sleep apnea anyway. So treat your sleep apnea by doing some basic sleep testing procedures. Go ahead and do whatever treatment you're gonna do. And once you get out of that control, if you still find yourself tired, then it might make sense to look at, hey, am I having other things that are going on here that are more serious? And are these things that I can change by habit right now before I go into a sleep lab? or or the things that I'm doing wrong? And I mean, everywhere you look now, it seems that somebody's talking about sleep. And I'm telling you, insurance companies are quick to pay for sleep disorders. They don't like paying for anything. And anytime they're quick to pay for it, it's telling you the story that all they've done is the math. They're a business. And they basically say, We know that if we fix this sleep disorder, it's going to be the cheapest way over a long term to keep a person healthy. If we don't, it's going to cost us a hell of a lot more money. We're going to deal with obesity, heart attack, stroke, everything else. They understand that even if we have to pay for some expensive sleep test, it's much cheaper in the long run than paying the other direction. Anytime insurance is quick to pay for something, you know that it's some, they've got enough data behind it that it's gonna make a substantial change in your overall outlook in life.
4: Jeremy, thank you so much. This has been super incredibly generous of you and you are a wealth just an encyclopedia of sleep knowledge and I would love to maybe ask you to come back for a part two sometime down the line Uh, I have one last question for you this is truly a personal question it's a little bit weird but I've been a mouth breather for my whole life especially in my sleep and before I go to sleep I recently probably a year ago I started taping my mouth shut am I also crazy for doing that to force myself to breathe through my nose
2: Um, I'm not a a big fan of it. Um, This is why. The idea of you wanting to breathe through your nose is a good thing. If the mouth is closed and the tongue is up, touching the front teeth, chances are you're going to reduce your chances of sleep apnea. But the problem is, is, if you are having sleep apnea, gasping serves a very important purpose. If I was to have you go under the water and hold you underwater for a long period of time, when you kind of came up out of the water, and I had your mouth taped, and you could only gasp through the little airway you had in your nose, and that's what's happening with sleep apnea, suffocation. It's gonna be very hard for you to get, resaturate your lungs and your heart and everything that's needing that oxygen. But the idea that you're wanting to stop this mouth breathing is a good thing. What they used to make for this is a chin strap, which I'm highly against now, and people are still using the sleep industry. The reason I'm now against a chin strap is it's meant to help keep the mouth closed by strapping your jaw to the top of your head. The problem I've had with this is working with oral appliances was bringing the jaw slightly forward. And now what I find is as people are trying to close their jaw shut by strapping a big thing around their chin is they're pushing the jaw back and closing off their airway even more. And the way I first found out about sleep appliances and I didn't even realize what I was doing is I just got a stupid boiling bite mouthpiece, put in my mouth to close off the area between my two teeth when I tried using a CPAP because the air was just going through my nose and then blowing out through my lips. And I thought I'm going to seal off that area. Well, not only did I seal off that area to keep me from mouth breathing, I didn't realize I was holding my jaw in place to keep it from falling back and therefore needed less pressure on my CPAP and was easier to use. I, I think that you would be much better off if you can't afford to get, going to a dentist, getting the mouthpiece and everything. is not trying to extend your jaw because, like I said, if you go too far forward and you're wrong, it's going to cause you jaw pain and problems. But if you were just to go edge to edge with your teeth with a boiling bite, chances are you're going to keep your mouth closed in that that mouth guard and you're gonna close that off and you're not gonna be a mouth breather, but you're also going to increase your airway by not allowing it to fall backwards and you're gonna see a world of difference. There are some there is a mouthpiece I know called Z Quiet that you can order without a prescription um, and the reason being is they're not calling a sleep apnea device they're calling it a snore device it's cheap and it's something you can start with and you can put the thing in your mouth it's not even a boil and bite you just put it in and it's meant to also try to help that I, I haven't tried it a lot with people but I know that that's what it's made for it's worth taking a look at I'm really weary of anything that tells you to extend your jaw way forward this one comes in three when you order it, it comes in three extensions. You can try one if you're a little sore, you do one with a little bit less extension forward of the mouth. Um, they're already in the three different locations, and you choose the one you wanna use, and you can go a little bit further, but if you're feeling a pain, you back off, so it's worth taking a look at. But um, yeah, I wouldn't keep your mouth shut. Just, I have to say that, because it may work for you, but if all of a sudden you needed the gas, because you were so low on oxygen, and your heart was strained, and it couldn't get that oxygen, or you could even aspirate, and throw up, get sick and throw up, and it'll go straight into your lungs, and you'll drown. So those are things I
4: <laughs> Probably not something I want to do. Good idea. Jeremy,
2: again, thank you. Like
4: I said, just an incredible wealth of knowledge. And where can people find out more about you? Where can people learn about you or your work? Uh, is there a URL or a
2: website? My Andre Gage is at andregage.com. Uh, my email if they ever have any questions or want to be directed to the right direction or a sleep lab or a sleep dentist I can try to help them find it is jeremy at sleepartist.com Like I said I, I don't know a lot of things in life but sleep I know well it's been and I, but I, but it's not just me it's being around the right people in the industry and if there's something I can't help them with I definitely know who to point them towards Jeremy, thank you very much and a sleep artist you are sir.
3: absolutely. <laughs> You've sent me down the rabbit hole. I'm going to be losing sleep now
2: doing all re- all this research on all these different things. It's it, it why when I fly in planes and people ask me what I do for a living, I tell them I flip burgers because I know if I don't, they're going to be a, I'm never going to get any rest on the plane. They're going to have... A yeah, yeah. It. I mean, you spend a third of your life in it and you don't know what's going on. And the first minute you start discovering it, it's just exciting.
1: Thank you for listening to this week podcast are url sleep.ist my name is vlad my personal blog is VladIt.com. if you have any questions please visit us at the sleepers website drop us a line ask your sleep questions and remember we are not doctors we don't play them on tv and anything you hear on this program should first be checked with your personal doctor